Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome into Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is January 26, 2015. My name is Jake English, and I'm here, as always, riding on the coattails of Mr. Scott Magnus. Oh, yeah. Now, you can find us at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com, which is our website with a new look. You can also find the show at Baltimore Sports Report Network, which can be found at the baltimoresportsreport.com slash network where you can check out great shows about uh, Baltimore sports, uh, including their daily podcast, which is called Baltimore Sports Today. You can get this podcast on lots of third-party platforms like uh, Stitcher, which is our recommendation, Miro, Double Twist, and also there's that Apple thing. Um, I... Doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, also, you can find us on social media, uh, Google+, Facebook, the whole nine yards, but the best way to find us is on Twitter, where we tweet at birdseyeview. B-A-L. And with all that out of the way, it's time for the most important part of this podcast. Scott, what is your drink of the week? Jake, I am drinking a Oscar Blues 1050 Imperial Stout. Do you know why it's called 1050? Why is it called 1050? Because it's 10.5% ABV. Nice. Okay. So that is a serious drink. It is a very good drink, yes. It's a manly drink. It's a manly drink. Yes. I'm, I'm not allowed anywhere near it. Yes, it's completely black. I am drinking... A Bud Light. Ah. I'm drinking a Bud Light that looks like it, it had some weather damage. Yes. Um, and the can is almost burst out at the top. Uh-huh. What's the expiration date on that? Expiration date is the 12th of July, 2014. I see. And it says NFL kickoff 2014. It's not really an expiration date. It's best if enjoyed by. Ah, I see. So that's when it was first created. No, that was the optimum time to drink it. But why does it say NFL kickoff 2014 on it? Uh, I don't have a good answer for you. Okay. At least it's not World Cup Bud Light. <laughs> Both of us are posting our, our drinks of the week to Untapped, uh, which is also connected to Twitter. You can find me at Jake E four zero two five. You can find Scott at M A G N eighty six zero six. And uh, I think there's no better time, Scott, than now to go to the twad. This week on the Twitters, first up is Damn it, Gleeman, don't rub it in. This comes from Aaron Gleeman. Um, you can follow him at Aaron Gleeman, and he actually has a podcast about the Twins. It's a very famous podcast. It's called Gleeman and the Geek. Gleeman Post, I realize everyone thinks Colby Rasmus is a doofus, but he had an 800 OPS versus righties from 2012 to 2014. Can play center field and is only 28 years old. He's so right. Yeah. I do think he's a doofus. <laughs> okay. Our, our next one, I'm going to put this in the category of here we go again. This tweet comes through us from Steve Molesky, who tweets at Mass and Steve, and the tweet is as follows. A-Rod will apologize at spring training. That should fix everything. Well done, Steve. I feel like we've been here before. Yeah. Um, Jake, I'm actually going to let you take this one because this is right up your alley. 
Oh, baby. This is actually, you you dug up this tweet for us, but it is right up my alley. You're right. Uh, this is from the Seattle Mariners official uh, uh, Twitter account, at Mariners. So fresh, so clean, plus stirrups. And it is a, uh, a vine of their new uh, alternate home uniforms. If you haven't seen the uniforms, you need to go look at them. They're beautiful. They're everything a baseball uniform should be. They're 80s rific. It's off-white. It's uh, it's lots of the deep blue, not the not the navy, but like you know the deep pilot blue, if you will. Yep. Gold, great stirrups, uh, horizontal stripes on the socks. It's mm, but no trident. That's good stuff. Yeah, no trident. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. can't have it all. Can't have it all. Um, well, it does look like Dan is back, and this comes from Eduardo Encina, who just came back from a space camp. Congratulations, Eddie! And you can follow him at Eddie in the Yard. Hashtag. Orioles announced signings of free agent right-handed pitchers Steve Johnson and Dane Della Rosa and outfielder Chris Parmalee to minor league contracts with invites to spring training. He's back, baby. He's back. That is wheeling and dealing in minor league and waiver wire contracts. That is a Dan Duquette-esque uh, group of signings, too. You know that's got his fingerprints all over it. He just walks in the room and says, bling, bling. <laughs> um, let's see. Next up on the Twitter... Uh, this comes from Enoceros, and you can follow him at Enoceros. And of course, he is one of the best individuals out there to follow in terms of uh, discussions about pitch FX. And he posts the Cubs now have the best relievers by slider whiff rate in Pedro Strope and the second best reliever by changeup whiff rate in German Gonzalez. So, Jake, um, things are looking up for the Cubbies, I guess. Or something. Can I talk about something that needs to die in a fire? Sure. This. Face off uh, the the face of MLB uh, thing that the MLB network is doing is just stupid. Um, it was stupid last year. The only good thing that comes out of it is that when things like the Yankees uh, face of the franchise comes up, I can tweet things like Alex Rodriguez. That is the only value. Or like it. face of the Detroit Tigers is like Kate Upton or face of the Toronto Blue Jays. Dan Duquette. Duquette or anyway, Justin mo- Verlander's ass after, after they pick them out, um, they they put them up against each other, and they tweeted one out. This is um, a tweet that comes uh, from MLB Network, and it is Adam Jones versus David Ortiz of the Boston Red Sox. I assumed that this would be Pink Hat Nation all the way, but apparently oh. Adam Jones is, is winning in the vote leaders. This is dumb. This needs to go away. Very, very dumb. Um, so... Uh, it's going to happen because there's nothing else going on during the off season, especially during this time between February and, you know, March. So uh, people are just eager for spring training and this is what's going to keep them going until then. But getting away from stupidity an ode to a great one. This comes from at major league baseball. Uh, you can follow them at MLB and it's Ernie banks, beloved on the field, beloved off of it. Um, Jake, let's play two. rest in peace. Ernie banks, You'll be missed. So, Mister Cubby, in my opinion, this is this would be similar to us losing um, Brooks Robinson in Baltimore. I mean, it's it's that big of a loss for Cubs Nation. So, um, our hats off to the rest of Cubs Nation. Ernie Banks was truly a um, an amazing baseball player, but also an amazing individual to go out there into the community and do what what he needed to get done in that area. So, you know, our wishes to the Banks family. Um, with that, you know, uplifting message, Jake, um, let's go into other uplifting messages. Let's go talk about the rest of this off season, um, with our guest for tonight. Oh, did the off season start? Mm, 
yeah, we're just, it's kind of, we shot the gun off and we're just sitting at the start. But we're finally getting started now. There have been so many questions in the last few weeks, and yet... Like why that music was played, but... No, Scotty, I, I know you too well to know why that just happened, and okay. it's just to spite me. Uh, so many questions in the last couple of weeks, and so few answers. Saturday's Fan Fest, the date we, we circle on our calendar, is kind of the unofficial start of what is baseball here for us to gear up for the season. And so far, here's what we got. For the offseason. Dan Duquette, still the GM. Sort of, for now, maybe, kind of, hopefully... The roster appears to be pretty much set for the 2015 season, barring any trades or rabbits being pulled out of the hat. So basically, here we are. What do we make of all this? What is this team? How should we feel about it? Look, you and I are clearly not qualified to answer any of these questions. And so we've turned to Mark Brown. Mark Brown, of course, is the manager of CamdenChat.com. You can find him all over the webs, especially on Twitter, where he tweets at EatMoreSK. And uh, he's here to help us sort it all out. Mark, thank you so much for joining us at Bird's Eye View. Well, thanks, guys, for having me on. Although you might be giving me a little too much credit for having any answers that you guys don't have. Uh, trust me, we are your official source for a lack of insight and basis opinion, so we have no answers here. The bar is so low you could slither over it. Yes, don't worry exactly. about it. Um, okay, well, maybe so then. All right, so the first question we ask all of our you know interviewees is, first and foremost, what is your drink of the week? My drink of the week? Well, I had a, uh, a new Belgium fat tire ale with my dinner this evening, so I guess that's my drink of the week. All right. We'll take that as an answer. We'll definitely take that as an answer. Good choice, sir. Um, let's get into it right away. Jake, I think you had a question about yeah. some his- history. Look, this is a little pointed, and I apologize. But when can we expect some more episodes of Camden Cast? You know what? I would like to have something uh, before the season starts at some point. Uh, I, I kind of, well, as anyone who is a long-time listener would know, when my, my former podcast and partner in crime, Andrew Gibson, took a job, he, he works for the Pittsburgh Pirates now. He does some, uh, does some actual cool baseball-y stuff for them. I could kind of, uh, I've kind of drifted along without him ever since, so I need to find a new a new, uh, a new more to uh, anchor myself to. I tell you what, before the rash of uh, podcasts that started up in about the 2012 time frame, it seemed like you were really the only game in town for Orioles specific podcasts. And I, I got to tell you, I for one missed the show. So find yourself an anchor and get back on the airwaves, will you? Or just a buoy if you have to. <laughs> um, so I think the total theme of this all season has been for fans freak out, and Jake freaks out often. I try to calm him down. Um, but the O's have let a lot of talent walk out the door with seemingly little to replace it with this offseason. How confident should Orioles fans be with the current roster the way it looks right now on January 26th? I have had my share of concerns about the the, uh, the fat heaping of nothing that has, has happened this offseason. But then I think about it again, and I mean, the Orioles did just win 96 freaking games last year, and that was pretty awesome. And uh, I mean, the only real huge loss 
is is Nelson Cruz. And I know that's not popular with some people who are really enamored with Nick Marcakis, but I mean, he like I, I'm sad that he was gone and they couldn't work something out. But it, his level of production at this point in his career, like I don't, I, I feel like there's some decent chance that the in-house replacement options uh, can patch together that, especially if they're being used in a platoon. All right. If that's the case, then it's like, well, they, they won the division by so many games, and if they really only lost Cruz, then it's like, well, maybe it'll be. Well, you mentioned the outfield. What do you expect the outfield splits will look like? Who's going to be out there patrolling the grass at Camden Yards this season? Well, probably more of Delman Young than we would like to see. Uh, I have a feeling Steve Pierce is going to have a pretty solid spot lockdown. And, uh, I guess Alejandro Diazo, unless they swing a trade for somebody, will probably be more or less the regular. Uh, I don't know if he'll be right field or left field, but, you know, is that an inspiring trio? Of course, you add in Adam Jones as the regular center fielder, and he makes any outfield look better, but I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's taking a leap of faith there, I think, to expect that to be a great outfield. It's, it's taking a lot of assumption based off of, well, let's hope everything works out exactly as it always has, and let's pray for the blessed. And, you know, I think the big aspect is you take a look at the talent, and, you know, if you take a look at Alejandro Diaz's, you know, war versus Nick Marcakis's over the past three years, Alejandro Diaz's war has been better than Nick Marcakis. So that kind of comes back to your point of, is losing Nick Marcakis really that big of a deal? Alejandro Diaz could theoretically fill into that role pretty well. I think it comes back to a question of can Steve Pierce be even a shell of what he was um, in that breakout season for 2014? And there's going to be some regression. It's just a question of how much regression there is. And then it really comes down to a question of from a platoon side, you know, how much does a player like David Lowe play into the role for the outfield? Or how much does another outfielder, like you said, like Delman Young or even like Alex Azan play into an outfield role uh, on this team? Can I can I interject and just object to Delman Young being referred to as an outfielder? I, I think just out of hand that offends me. He gets the Vladimir Guerrero Award for being an outfielder. Sorry to jump in, Mark. Go ahead. You know, Guerrero never even played in the outfield when he was in Baltimore, though. I don't think for even one inning. So no, that's because uh, they burned. Okay Delman Young went in that category. Yeah, they burned his glove as soon as he came into spring training, so he couldn't go out into the outfield. He just he couldn't find another glove. Every single time he picked one up, he literally picked up Vladimir Guerrero's glove, threw it into a trash can, lit gasoline onto it, and then just lit a match on it and just burned right up. So now Vladimir Guerrero, fortunately, was never done. Hopefully the Orioles decide to do the same thing with Delman Young, but I have a feeling that Delman Young is going to be playing some right field like you stated. Um, Jake, yeah, you- I think we'll see him there a little bit, but I mean, since there's not like a regular DH, maybe he will be mostly DH. Speaking, we can hope. Speaking about horrific instances, um, Chris Davis in 2014 was absolutely horrific mainly due to him constantly hitting into the shift and not being able to uh, change his game up and be able to hit to the opposite field. I know that was something that he worked on extensively last year. Um, But what do you expect from Chris Davis after that horrific 2014? Do you think he's going to be able to adapt to the shift with Scott Kubal now in there? Or do you think that we're going to see another uh, high strikeout season with a absolutely horrific 200 average? Well, I mean, if he hits another 50 home runs, I, he can have a low average if he wants. Of course, he didn't do that last year, but I, I don't know. I don't know what it was wrong with him last year. So I don't know how to say, well, he's going to beat shift more or whatever, because like, what was he, you know, that did he never eat a heel from that oblique injury or was there something going on? And that's why. Well, the one thing he that got desperate and decided to take the Adderall or whatever. Yeah. And, 
the one thing that we you know that you can look at the numbers in terms of batted ball profiles and after that oblique injury his batted ball profile distances really kicked back by like 20 or 30 feet so those line drives that he was placing out into right field weren't being blown past that person in right field basically being in the shift whereas a lot of times in 2013 you know he would hit right into the shift but he would hit it so hard that it would bounce right past that you know individual in right field so I think if Davis does get some of that power back and maybe some of the focus back with his exemption now with Adderall, it may be interesting to see how Chris Davis does in terms of getting some more power um, and he'd be able to pull even through the shift and not against the shift as well. Well, I think you might be uh, in danger of losing your most baseless information title if you're pulling out batted ball profiles. But that, that's a solid information. And I definitely think like if he can hit it over the first baseman's head down the right field corner, like doesn't matter if you're hitting in the shift direction if you're hitting mm-hmm. it over the head and before the guy can get over there. And, you know, I do feel like that was something that was missing from his arsenal last year. Speaking about missing from the Orioles' arsenal last year, Manny Machado was out for a pretty significant part of the season last year, not really coming into his own until May. And even during May, he had a pretty rough going about getting things back together again. Um, he really didn't start contributing in the lineup until June. And Matt Wieters, of course, uh, was out for a predominant amount of season due to his Tommy John surgery. Um, you know, that was, you know, two devastating losses for the Orioles, both at the end of the season, but also throughout the season. Um, with Machado and Wieters now back, um, do you expect them to return to, you know, the career peaks that they were seeing? Or do you expect a rough start for them um, going into April and May of this season? Well, I have been telling everybody who will listen for pretty much the last year that Matt Wieters is about to have the contract year to end all contract years. And I don't really have any reason to believe that other than just pure belief that he just, I mean, you know, he's a Scott Boris kind of guy. And I don't mean to say that he's been dogging it the last few years. I actually think the thing is probably we didn't give enough credit to how hard it is to just become a major league catcher and also, you know, a quality hitter who's a quality major league catcher. And I feel like, you know, it's taken him years of maybe development to get to that point, and I, th- I think he's finally going to reach more. I mean, maybe not. I certain, I'm sure you remember some of the hype when he was first, uh, you know, drafted and moving up through the minors. Yeah, switch hitting Jesus, like. Jesus and cleats. Yeah, Matt Wieters' facts, you know, against the Chuck Norris facts. I mean, it was literally pandemonium in terms of when Matt Wieters came up to be with the team on the major league. Like, this is the time that this player is going to turn around this team and turn it into a winning team, and well, sure enough, Matt Wieters wasn't that individual. Manny Machado happened to turn into that individual in 2012 and really re-energize his team and give it that defensive uplift in 2012 to make it into a playoff team. Well, I, I want to go back to what you said about you know having no real reason to expect a career year from, uh, from Matt Wieters, but fully believing that it'll happen. Let me just lay this out for you. If there was nothing standing in the way between the Orioles and being able to re-sign Matt Wieters uh, after his walk year, if there was nothing standing in the way of that other than Matt Wieters having this amazing walk year, why wouldn't that happen? Oh, yeah, he'd be so expensive. He couldn't possibly stick around. Yeah, I mean, that would be an okay problem to have as far as you know the 2015 Orioles are concerned. Absolutely. Um, the other question that has really perennially been raised by a lot of projection systems is, do the Orioles have enough pitching and, frankly, do they have enough good starting pitching to make it to and through the playoffs? Uh, there's always been talk about the Orioles not really having aces and stuff like that. And Chris Tillman has been the number one on the staff for a few years now. And now that Kevin Gossman is up here, there's talk of, you know, that frontline rotation kind of being bolstered once again. But, 
you know, you look at it compared to other rotations, even in the American League East, and nobody really stacks up as a number one or number two starter, not even Kevin Gossman at this time. Do you think the Orioles have a chance to get back to the playoffs with that starting rotation and actually have success in it? I mean, I don't see why the starting rotation is would be what would hold them back. Like they've shown they can be good enough at the major league level to, you know, have be a, a rotation on the division winning team just last year. You know, there wasn't anybody like you know, an ace level. I mean, Chris Tillman was pretty good. He wasn't like, you know, getting up into the Cy Young conversation or anything like that. And I mean, if you look at national people, they'll come back and take a look say, you know, if you look through that starting rotation, they'll say, you know, they're not a very high strikeout, you know, starting rotation, so they don't get a lot of strikeouts. And they really rely really heavily on their defense in terms of leaving people on base. And they basically say eventually that's going to have to come back and bite them in the butt. It's the question of they haven't got bit in the butt for the past three years, it almost seems like. The question is, is going to be, you know, the fourth year of 2015 any different? Or is the Orioles going to continue on this trend of defying, you know, FIP versus ERA? There's certainly plenty of stuff that makes me nervous. But that's just like after so many years of losing, I just am constantly <laughs> feeling like, well, here's where it's all going to just fall off. The wheels fall off. And then it's back to what I'm familiar with. But like, you know, the, take a, talk about the projection systems. And they just, for the last three years, they've just been so wrong about the Orioles. And, you know, I don't even know, like, obviously they just outperformed and it's hard to even articulate why. Do you say, well, it's been luck for three straight years? I mean, like, you go back to 2012 and they were getting projected for, like, 72 wins with the Pakoda projection or something like that. I mean, they were headed out by more than 20 wins. Yeah. Well, so they- it's just, it seems like all those systems, for whatever reason, just whatever they, they, they use to compile their expectation is just it misses something that the Orioles have in spades. Well, if you look at the projection system, there's two things that are really critical. Most of the projection systems that people look at would be like a fan grass or, you know, a steamer. And a lot of them are looking at independent pitching. So they're limiting the aspect of looking at a defense. And the Orioles, as we know, are one of the best defensive teams out there. So when you look at a starting pitcher like Chris Tillman, you look at his numbers and you're like, eh. But when you throw him behind the defense, you're like, that's a pretty good pitcher. Similarly, Miguel Gonzalez is outperformed his independent pitching statistics versus, you know, his ERA. So the Orioles have been a really good ERA or a runs allowed team as opposed to independent pitching. I think this really comes down to this situation of I don't think defense is being valued as much as it really needs to. And I think, you know, um, there was a great article on Cannon Depot about this where back in the day during the heyday of the Orioles back in, I think it was like 1970 through 1985, um, when the Orioles were the best team in Major League Baseball, they constantly outperformed um, ERA versus FIP in current formulation. And again, that team was all about having a lot of you know really good defenders out there and a few really you know big boomers like Boo Powell in order to hit home, home runs. And it feels like the Orioles are following a very similar trend of relying on defense and also that three-run homer once again. It doesn't hurt when you've got guys who can hit the three-run homer and it doesn't hurt when you've got some good defenders out there. I mean, think about they just find them like what like the last year. I mean, think about like Caleb Joseph. He threw out almost fifty percent of base runners, and the knock on him and why we had never seen him at the big leagues before was supposed to be well, he wasn't good enough on defense to really be a big league catcher. Yeah. And then, and then he came up. I'm sorry, he's his caught ceiling was forty percent at the end of the season, but he was over fifty percent. Forty percent. That's I mean, terrible. I mean, gosh. I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, forty. You know, forty percent. And I'm looking on baseball reference right now. The league average is twenty seven. Yeah, exactly. So he's pretty much. 50% better than the league average catcher at throwing out runners 
And one of the best catchers out there, too, in Major League Baseball last year in terms of pitch framing as well. So Caleb Joseph was a miracle worker, all things considering. I know that when Matt Wieters went down last year, I was just like, we're done. Who's coming up? Caleb Joseph? Yeah, we're done. And uh, lo and behold, Caleb Joseph really was almost a glue that held the starting pitching staff together and was a godsend for the Orioles. And he had that weird uh, couple of weeks where he was actually like hitting really well, like five home runs in a row, five, yeah. five games of the home run in a row. And it was just, it was very weird. It was a very weird thing. Well, I mean, if you want to tie that back into talking about projection systems and what they missed about the Orioles, like, there was no way any projection system projecting the 2014 Orioles could have quantified any Caleb Joseph impact. Because if you looked, if you sat there, you know, March of last year and were thinking, man, what would that, what would happen if Caleb Joseph came up to the big leagues? Like, you couldn't have imagined that outcome. Right. And you know, all the roster tinkering the Orioles do, and you know, all these guys who seem like marginal guys, and then you know, if they come here and you know, Buck Walter uses them in just the right role, then, you know, they're better than their numbers look. And they help the team more than, you know, you would think that they would based on how they hit or whatever. Yeah, I really think that's also Ducat magic. I mean, he, he stockpiles all these guys when, when the signings are made. You're like, what? Why Why are you doing that? And then, you know, he brings them in. I mean, it, it goes all the way back to Nate McClough. You know, that, that signing everybody scratched their head at. And then he was a, you know, a huge part of that 2012 season, just as you indicating you know guys that can come up and contribute you know, like a Caleb Joseph or some somebody like that I think that's very much uh in Duquette's Delman uh, Young is a clear example of that last yeah. year just like signed to a minor league contract with Delman Young you're just like really Delman Young you know he's a basically an average player at best and has kind of hop skip and jump through many organizations so you're just like you look at his weighted runs created plus and he's just a very average player and then last year he has a breakout season he hit the most important hit in Camden Yards history? Uh, I don't know about that, but maybe while you're at the game. But no, I don't know if it was the most important hit ever at Camden Yards history. But I Ma- mean, Mark, you want to. for everyone who was there, it was. I was not, but I have heard people who were, and they certainly talk about it like it was a religious experience. Yeah. The mo- the ground moved beneath my feet, Mark. It, it was a religious experience for all the Jewish people in Camden Yards <laughs> at that day. <laughs> That's terrible. All right. I was I was trying to make a point about Duquette before Scott got me off on, on uh Delma Young. But let me ask you about this. Shabbat Shalom. Uh, <laughs> let me ask you this about Duquette. Um is the Dan Duquette saga over? I mean, is it like really over? Well, I was reading earlier tonight that the Blue Jays finally said they had extended that guy, Paul Beeston's contract for the 2015 season. So I guess if nothing else, we put it off for like 10 months. But uh, I don't know that there's any way we can be sure it's not going to come back uh, next November. And, you know, it's right back to the same stuff. So so you're saying it's it's really over, but it's not really, really over. I feel like it seems like it's over as far as the 2015 season is concerned, but uh, maybe you know we we've heard that before. Yes, so exactly. I don't know what that, that we know it's final this time, but it it sounds final for now until it's not final. I guess. Uh, how, how do you think that things are that going on in the organization? Do you think that too much is being made in the media about the fact that there may be some uh, turmoil within the warehouse, some you know, hurt feelings, some burned bridges? Do you think any of that's really going on? Or do Toxic you, is a word that yeah. was used by Rockabaco. Or, or do you think that that's really much ado being made of nothing? Like the question I have, I've, I've certainly seen those stories, and I just am curious who is saying stuff like toxic. Because unless it's Peter Angelos thinking he's toxic, like it doesn't matter. Like, so who is who is the person who's sounding off about that? Or are they a person whose opinion matters? Or Britney Spears, I'm guessing. Some dude who like photocopies stuff, you know? Yeah, exactly. Is it just some intern that's just like, I don't even know what I'm doing here, but they told me that I would get some credit for being here, but 
You know, it's a toxic environment. Yeah, it's it, when you don't have name sources, it's kind of hard to figure out what exactly it means. But th- there's definitely been people that have come back and said there's this, you know, rivalry or not even rivalry is not a great word, but this animosity between like a Buck faction versus Dan faction. I just I, I don't know. We heard the same thing last year in the offseason where they were saying Duquette was moved out of his office and Peter Angelos had moved up in there. And, you know, I think this is people trying to delve into stories that, you know, need to fill the gap of an Orioles offseason that has nothing else going on with it. The thing about all that was it seemed like it was like the national media who was really driving every report about that. And the Orioles people would just feel, you know, the Orioles local people would just be like, well, you know, there's been this and there's been that. But they were never like, well, a deal's really close or, well, they're, you know, it's almost happened or whatever. Not to mention it was people like Ken Rosenthal who has Baltimore ties within the media too and definitely has connections within the warehouse from previous history in the organization. Um Going into next year, because I really don't want to think about this offseason anymore, baseball is a constantly evolving game. And as a fan, at least when I go into a season, I'm always looking for something new to watch or try to learn during a year. So, Mark, my question to you as a fan, what is one new thing that you will be watching or trying to learn this year while watching Major League Baseball? As far as stuff on the field, I guess uh, I'm... Well, I, I am curious to see how the Orioles managed to game the Rule 5 system with two Rule 5 picks at once, because that's what, you know, they've, uh, two out of the past three years, they've managed to keep a Rule 5 pick, and now they're trying to, like, well, if we could do it one a year, let's try two at once and see what happens. And uh, Well, one of those I Rule I, I feel like it was a little crazy, a little optimistic of them. Yeah, like I said, I think it'll be one or the other. Um, it- Actually, I'm not even sure whether they're actually going to get one of the rule fives through. In previous years, the Orioles have had a plethora of relievers within their bullpen that had options. And this year, eh, not so much. So it'd be interesting to see if the Orioles are going to eliminate their flexibility um, by you know putting another rule five person in there that's not going to have the ability to be optioned to the minor leagues. I think, like we yeah, talked I about, I don't think they have anybody in the current uh, what you could project as the current bullpen who has any options. Uh, yeah, the only as person far as I know, McFarland. McFarland is the only other person that would be a person that would possibly be a, a, a topic to be someone that could be optioned. And um, the other thing with the Rule Five is that I mean, it could just be a, a long look at spring training to see if the Orioles want to go ahead and try to exercise a trade to get these these guys into the system, you know, options and all similar to how they did like Michael Almond's our last season. Right. Well, yeah, hopefully- and, I mean, it doesn't hurt them any to have those guys around because what I think the, the price is like 50,000 to make a pick. And then they, they paid the Astros like 75,000 to pick uh, Jason Garcia for them. So, I mean, if one of them works out, or even if neither of them does, I mean that's you know that's a rounding error. So what does it matter if it doesn't work out? Yeah, it's, they tried. It's twenty Nolan Reimold salaries, basically. Um, right. La- last question. This is the most important one. So clear your mind. I need you to take a deep breath because this, this is where the rubber meets the road. Are you ready? Okay. All right. We have a very uh, an ongoing debate here at Bird's Eye View. So I'm going to lay it to you. Are you a Beatles guy or a Stones guy? Oh man. <laughs> um, so you're, you're hitting me with the hard ones again here. <laughs> I don't, I don't know that I ever had realized that you have to be a Beatles guy or a Stones. I have, I have heard my share of the Beatles and I've heard my share of the Stones, and I have just never knew, known that you needed to pick one or the other. You got yeah, and and don't worry, it's not like we're going to judge you upon your answer. It's just that that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, we're not going to say you're now, wrong. Now let me ask you a question: Is one of you on one side and the other one is on the other side, or am I possibly about to make you both hate me? You might be hated. 
<laughs> but don't be. Oh don't, man! So there's a wrong there's a wrong answer as far as this shows. There, oh, when when loaded questions get asked, there's always a wrong answer. Yes, exactly. Well, I feel like for me, uh, as far as if I'm likely to sit down and just randomly listen to a whole bunch of music of one of those, I would probably be more likely to listen to the Stones. Well, right. this was a great interview. It was so nice we're, talk. Yeah, was, we're going to move on. And uh... <laughs> but I like the Beatles. I enjoy, I enjoy much of the Beatles. Too. All, right. All right. Well, Mark, thank you so much for uh, for sharing some insight uh, on on the upcoming season. Thank you for putting up with our dumb questions that have nothing to do with the uh, with the uh, Orioles. Um, but we encourage everyone who's hearing our voices right now to run. Do not walk to your local computer. Go to Canon Chat. Read all of mark and the rest of the staff's great stuff uh is a key resource for the orioles season and hey you might even hear an episode of canon chat at some point and my favorite thing to do uh during the season too is go to canon chat they do a live streaming content on their site for every single game it is great it is hilarious and um well you get some culture is the best way i can describe describe it mark um it's an enjoyable time and i enjoy being in those and kind of just following along in the insanity, which is uh, the game um, summaries, basically. <laughs> yeah, the game thread. It's one of my favorite things about running the site. It's like it's a lot like being at a bar with a bunch of people, except you know you're on your computer. But there's this Orioles fans from really all over the world are just there and you know reacting with angst if they're losing and just just going wild when they're winning and. Uh, it's really been a great time, you know, 2012, 2014 especially. Uh, I, I really never knew being an Orioles fan could be so much fun. But. Well, Mark, I can tell you from a avid reader for many years, I'm looking forward to the many things that you'll be bringing into the 2015 season, and I will be on there watching, viewing, trolling, and posting my daily animated pictures every single Friday night after the Orioles win. So, Mark, thank you very much for coming on the show. We look forward to it. Hopefully, you can get some better taste in music, though. Yeah, it's not the first time in my life I've heard that, and it probably won't be the last. So, uh, you know, sorry for letting you down, though. It's, it happens. We're Orioles fans. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs> Scott, Major League Baseball has a new commissioner. It's a time of change. Do do ba 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 da ba. Okay, it's a time of change, and with that, we're going to hear a lot of things, including proposals to help move our beloved game forward, including those that come directly from uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred and those that are going to be uh, presented to him. A lot has been made recently of his comments that said that he would be open to banning defensive shifts in light of the fact that scoring in 2014 was the lowest in baseball since 1976. Um, and that, that sparked a lot of, of Twitter and Internet's debate. What do, you, what do you think about the noise around all that? 
I think it was a passing comment on the ESPN interview, and I don't really think it should be taken as anything too seriously. But it's generally a bad impression to make on your first day in office. <laughs> um, but it did get us to thinking about what problems are out there in the game currently and how might we really solve them. And it's clear there's two major issues facing baseball right now. And the one is length of game. And there is a concern that low-scoring baseball games may be too boring for the ADD generation, which is Generation X or even Generation Y or the Millennials, however you want to describe them. But let's briefly talk about the length of the game um, and, and kind of go through the uh, the issues here. I have a real, like, honest to God, real solution. Okay, we, we've talked. You know, we've we've heard about pitch clocks. Sure, and we've you know, don't step out of the batter's box. Yeah. Look, I, I understand all of those things, but I think all of those things have a real effect on gameplay uh-huh. and the play of the game. But I have a real solution um, that I, I really think would be effective in trimming the the time of a baseball game. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Stop trying to sell me so much goddamn beer during commercials. Hmm. That's a good point. That's a good point. Let me, let me ask you this. I, I understand that Major League... I, I could just avoid the bed barn commercials that are on Masson, <laughs> but that's just me. <laughs> I understand that Major League Baseball is a $9 billion... I mean, $9 billion with a B. B. Uh, industry I, I get that and and you know one of the things that that people have said about outgoing commissioner uh the crypt keeper is that he has just grown the the revenues of the game so much and i, I get that but you know I, I really feel at the point where each inning break lasts so long so that you know major league baseball and the team's television sponsors can get their their bang for their buck goes way more board being detrimental to the game of baseball than a pitcher staring down somebody on the mound or a hitter stepping out to adjust his batting gloves to disrupt the timing of a pitcher. All of those things that I just described are baseball and you trying to get me to drink more Budweiser is not. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, that's perfectly, I think you hit the nail on the head. Whereas if you look at advertising time in the modern age versus, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, it's going to be completely different. And, you know, you look at the time demographic, there is definitely about a 15 to 20 minute difference 20 years ago than there is now that can easily be tied back to TV revenue and commercials that are being played throughout these innings. Um, it, it can also be tied to certain other aspects, too, in terms of multiple uses of relievers that have become more highly prolific over the past bit. But I totally agree with you, Jake. It comes, comes back to a commercial aspect and shortening the amount of commercials and the time between innings is a key critical point to shortening the games. I really feel like baseball at least needs to pretend to care about the product that's being cashed in on rather than just the cash that it brings in. So, I mean, is that me being pie in the sky? Is Pandora's box open? Is there any way that that would get addressed before something on the field? Hell no. <laughs> I was afraid of that. Yeah. All right. Well, so we're not going to be able to solve length of game in a in a real way. No. Let's move on to low scoring baseball games. All right. Um, defensive shifts being banned. I I feel like I might get ranty, and one of my many failings in this enterprise is that I do a lot of ranting and I don't let you get a word in edgewise. So I want to shut up for a second and and just ask you, what do you feel? How, how does that make you feel to, to hear that baseball is considering banning defensive shifts? I think it's fairly logical. If you look at the historical records of offense um, in terms of Babbitt over the past oh, 20 years is what I think I pulled. There is very little deviation in terms of Babbitt in terms of it. So if, 
for example, the shift, like we talked about Chris Davis, Chris Davis was, his BABIP was much lower last year because of the shift. It dropped from being right around a 320 BABIP hitter to a 240 BABIP hitter because he constantly hit the shift. Um, but overall, the league on a whole is hitting balls in play a lot more consistently and not really having any issues with the shift. There's bigger issues um, coming back to, well, Jake, there's just a lot more strikeouts going on and a lot less contact. You go back to the 80s, and there are a lot more people making contact with the ball, and there was a lot more dependence on stolen bases because people were on the base pass. Now, Jake, there's a lot more people that you know have low averages, high strikeout percentages, but they're able to hit the long ball. And uh, people like the long ball. That's how Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin apparently got into the Hall of Fame. I'm so glad to hear you say that because I, I agree wholeheartedly. I, I think that I think that changing the game to ban defensive shifts turns the game into something that goes along the lines of these hitters who are either too proud or incapable of beating the shift and giving up a little bit of power rather than making ball players play ball. You know what I mean? And and it's not like and it's not like we're writing a wrong that suddenly happened. Sure. This is this is, you know, the history of the game. And I don't want to sound like I'm against change just for change's sake. You know, I, I may be a baseball romantic, but sure. I'm not I'm not against change. I, I just think that it's not unreasonable that we ask players to be able to hit the ball the other way, to be able to put the ball in play to try to score runs rather than to have one of the the three ultimate outcomes, you know, the, the walk, the strikeout, or the home run. Sure. That's just as much baseball as is, you know, hitting a home run and watching a guy try. I, I totally agree. And if you go and look at the numbers and you look at the people that were shifted highly against last year, the average loss over all those players was only seven points in terms of BABIP for the entire season for 2014 compared to where they should be in terms of expected BABIP in terms of here's what line drives get. So again, the shift is not killing baseball. It's going to come back to the fact of the expanded strike zone that is currently occurring and allowing the strike zone to expand and allowing pitchers to have higher strikeouts is really, you know, killing some of the offense that, that's out there. If the strike zone is actually called, it's going to make people be much more aggressive at the plate, put a higher amount of contact on the ball. And if there's higher contact on the ball, what do people want to see? They want to see balls put in play, and they want to see good fielding plays, or they want to see extra base hits. Make the strike zone what it is. It's going to bring a lot more offense. That strikeout count's going to come down, and there's going to be more contact. I think you I think you nailed it right on the head when you said extra base hits, and, and here's why. Because I, I think that, you know, people assume that, that home runs are the are just what we want to see, and it's okay to have a player with a you know 200 batting average and 50 home runs uh, as long as they're hitting those long balls. But uh, you know the sport finances has got to the point where it, there's an incentive to be that kind of what I would call incomplete player rather than somebody who has like you know a 300 plus on base percentage who hits doubles. And you can't tell me that as a baseball fan when you're there, it's not exciting to see somebody hit a double in a high leverage situation because let me tell you, I was there. It is exciting. Well, again, I'm going to come back to an instance of someone from previous Orioles history. And it's an individual that really didn't hit a lot of home runs, but hit a ton of doubles. And that's Brian Roberts. Brian Roberts was an offensive dynamo there when he was hitting all those doubles. And yeah, he didn't hit like a lot of home runs, but in terms of his weighted runs created plus and his Woba, he was a very, very good offensive production in terms of the rest of major league baseball. So he was a bright spot for the Orioles during that time. And again, he wasn't one of those players that put up 30 or 40 home runs, but he was able to contribute in terms of getting extra base hits. So 
you know, I think having the ability to do extra base hits and putting balls into play is a big, big um, portion of what or the, uh, Major League Baseball needs to get into. Focus on defense. Focus on great plays on defense. And don't focus on this aspect of, well, we are going to expand the strike zone out and really get the whole aspect of high strikeouts. Strikeouts are fun and great, but people want to see defense, I think, right now. At least I want to see defense. Yeah, I mean, it's a painful subject for me, but you don't think the Kansas City defense was entertaining as hell in the ALCS? And it's actually a really interesting thing about the Kansas City Royals. When we went in last year and we are talking about the Kansas City Royals, they were number one in terms of contact rate in all of Major League Baseball last year. So they put a lot of balls into play. Um, fortunately, their balls fell into play a lot more often, but it was interesting given consideration that the Orioles were a team that wanted balls to be put in play, and the Royals were a great team at putting contact into play. The Royals just ended up getting the balls into the gaps and putting them into play where the Orioles couldn't get them. Um, you know, it, it happens, and but that's the you know the luck of BABIP in a certain regard. But Jake, we we this is almost too logical of a discussion to have in terms of what needs to be done to fix Major League Baseball. And in fact, it makes way too much sense. So we decided to Manford it and decide to come up with our own, you know, personal rule changes. We've got a few Manfredits, yes. if you will. Yes. Um, so, you know, I tweeted out some of these earlier today, but here, here's, you know, the first step is already being discussed, ban defensive shifts. But Scott, I say, let's take this a step further. And and frankly, it, it sounds like a farce, but it's not really that far nope. much further once you go down this I say we ban double play depth. Yep, I agree. Not allowed. Not allowed. Why would we put our defense in a situation where we could get two outs when one would suffice? I totally agree. And at that point, we should just go ahead and ban breaking balls, too. Absolutely. It's much harder for a hitter to hit them. Absolutely. There's no way that we should be seeing that kind of velocity change um, in in terms of pitches. You know, it should be everything should be 93 to 94 miles per hour you know, allowing that batter to hit that ball for the hard line drive or fly ball home run. Absolutely. Um, And if we're really going to go that far, we should just really ban defensive gloves. I mean, these guys are professional athletes out there. If they're going to want to get somebody out, they should be using their hands. Bare hand or nothing. Right, exactly. Just like the good old days. Jake, give me some other ones. All right. I'm thinking that if we really want to see runs scored in this game, Mm. if we want to make things more interesting, you're in a pivotal situation. The offense gets two outs. Yeah. At that point, your shortstop should have to sit down and and remain seating, remain seated until contact uh, with ball and bat. Okay, you may have went a little too far with this, but you got it very close. The shortstop can sit down when there's two outs, but the shortstop also, when he has given up his glove at this point, he also gets a ping pong paddle. So J.J. Hardy is going to be that gold glove shortstop again with that ping pong paddle where he's able to deflect it into Jonathan Scope's glove at second base. All right, I like I like where you're going with this. Yes. But let's not just think about ways to to limit the defense. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about ways to enhance the offense. Uh, see, this is the way I like your thinking now. Right, first, I think it's it's about time. It is the 21st century. Scott, it's the future. This is the year that Marty McFly is going to have hoverboards. Yep, this is when the Cubs win the World Series. Wood is so... I mean, 1800s is when they started swinging wooden bats. It's time to move to all aluminum all the time. Mandated use of aluminum bats in Major League Baseball. Bryce Harper is going to be really excited. I know it. I know it. What else do we have? I think that the DH should be implemented in both leagues immediately and that the DH should count as twice as what they do. So if the DH comes around and scores, they get two runs as opposed to just one runs because really – 
you know, they're not getting to play the field, so they should have double their effort awarded on the offense. Plus, they're slower guys, so by the time they get around to home, I mean, they, they should really be rewarded for that excitement. Correct. All right. I, I like where you're going with that, but I don't think we've really taken it far enough because I think that what we need to do is we need to have a pivotal inning. Mm. You know, the focal point, kind of like the two-minute warning of a football game, a focal point of the baseball game, I think we need to get ourselves to the seventh inning in which point in every at-bat there is a money ball Ooh. that is pitched. Maybe it's a, a two-strike scenario. Yeah. The money ball comes out. Maybe a full count. Let's not get crazy. But the money ball comes out with score multipliers based on where it lands in the field. I like that. Or maybe it's a situation where the manager has to challenge and throw his money ball out there, and then the pitcher has to use the money ball for you to try to get the extra runs. I like it. That yeah. has a lot. That has legs to it, Magnus. Yeah. I like that. Um, I, my other th- opinion on this is we need to lower all outfield fences down to be only four feet high, similar how it is like in Boston with the right field fence. Mm-hmm. All those fences have to be no taller than those Boston fences. So the green monster, the green monster is no longer going to be a monster anymore. It's going to be four feet high, just like it is in right field. The green midget. I like yeah, exactly. It. So basically, it's just if the outfielder doesn't get to it, the balls that used to bounce off the walls are home runs. That's correct. Okay. Yeah, okay. exactly. Um Similarly, in order to save some time, let's eliminate all specialty relievers. Death to loogies. There will be no more lefty specialists out there in the world. In fact, we're just going to execute them. We're just basically going to send them up to the executioner squad. They're going to be instantly eliminated so they can never come back to this league or go over to like the Japanese league or any other league as well. What about what about uh, instead of just eliminating them, because I think that's a little harsh, um, what if we, like timeouts in football, you only had a certain number of pitching changes in a game and once you've used them all, you're done. No, I'm sorry. That Dumb and Young actually submitted this one, so he's actually fully for gas chambers and oh, stop. And all right, last but not least, you know, one of the things that baseball has already done to change the balance of power between the pitchers and the hitters is the mound. Mm-hmm. You know, the mound used to be higher, now it's sure. lower, all that stuff. Here's what I'm thinking. Instead of having a mound, what needs to be is it needs to be actually below grade. So the pitchers will be pitching from, from a, a hole. Divot. Yeah, yeah, from a hole. It needs to be moved back an additional two feet. Okay. Okay. And the the distance between the base paths needs to be reduced to 75 feet because, frankly, it's just too far for these uh, finely tuned athletes to run. It's not exciting enough because there aren't enough triples. That's a good point. You know, we could actually situation like we could actually have it be where the mound changes shape throughout the game. So maybe you come out for the first inning and you know it's a perfectly normal mound, but you come out for the second inning, and now you've got additional amount of divots, and it's like almost like a wavy surface, so you've got to actually plant your leg appropriately. I'm thinking the safety committee might have an issue with this, but... Yeah, yeah. But the fans won't. But the fans and will the, love it. The They'll fans be like, will love it. Yeah! It's all-terrain pitching! Yeah, it'll be interesting, I think. I, I think that these, these uh, changes to the game will really bring us into the future of modern baseball. So if you have additional uh, recommendations for us, please make sure you tweet that out to at BirdseyeViewBAL. Or contest us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. We'll take your suggestions and read them on air next episode. Well, with that, uh, Scotty, unless you've got anything else, I think it is about time that we blow this save. Jake wanted to go ahead and blow the save. All right. As we have noted, uh, Saturday is FanFest. Uh, FanFest is, is a hit or miss for a lot of people. I, I think for some people, they really like the excitement of being there with a lot of other Orioles fans, being there to kind of you know get, get this whole excitement for Orioles baseball thing started. Um, if you're into autographs, it's a big day. Huzzah. Uh, you, know, you, you and I are not big on that, but okay. But I am getting a lot of autographs this year. More, more on that uh, to come. Yes. Um, 
you know, if, if you love uh, hearing from the players themselves, if you like being able to, you know, reach out and touch the the players, you know. Like your wife? <laughs> my wife may have accosted J.J. Hardy <laughs> last year. That, that, we're not going to go there. Uh, it, it's a good way she went there. To, <laughs> to get close access. Um, but I have a confession to make. Okay. I think it's very likely that I'm going to miss a great portion of FanFest this year. <sighs> I know. Like two years ago, uh, you mocked me greatly. Um, I have a family commitment, so I think I'm going to, I'm going to show up, uh, and then, then make a brief appearance and then see, see myself out. But that, that means something very good for all the rest of these Oriole fans out here. You know, uh, big announcements are sometimes made at FanFest. Never. Uh, you know, the Tejada signing, I think. Long time um, ago. Uh, Earl Weaver's death. You know, all the good stuff. Um, all brought the up, good stuff. <laughs> brought up at FanFest. Wow. Fest. And if I'm not there to see it, if I'm not there to be present, I think there's a very good chance that there will be a big announcement made at FanFest. So something really exciting. So from Jake's lips to yours, Frank Robinson will be dying this Saturday, apparently. <laughs> That's not quite what i meant okay but that's kind of what you implied <laughs> but everyone we will be at fan fest um look for us come and say hello to us um i'd probably be wearing my orioles fedora as my guest and jake do you have anything that you might be wearing oriole thong oriole thong um but yeah come up and say hello to us we'll be walking around probably with a bird's eye view sign um and just come up and say hey you know i listen to you guys and we'll get us talking going and I don't know about Jake because he's going to have to leave early, but I'm surely going to probably pop over to Dempsey's for lunch and maybe have a beer or two. Oh, you can go over to Jim John's, have a sandwich with uh, Dan, Dan Duquette. Duquette. Yeah. Um, I think Jimmy John's is not going to take him. He's going to have to look for a Canadian establishment. Are there any Canadian establishments in Baltimore? We should check this out. Um, in-depth investigation we'll conduct for the next episode. So, Jake, with that, um, I think it's time we uh, start to close out this episode um, I have nothing else to say to you all except for Baltimore and beyond. I bid you a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. We will see you next week for episode 107. And we will see everyone at FanFest this Saturday. It's over. Go home. Go.